Welcome to On DoD on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jared Serbu. Thanks for joining us this week. And we're going to tackle two topics on this week's show. In the second half of the program, the position of the Defense Department's chief management officer is quite possibly on its way out. Congress has already signaled that it's ready to get rid of the CMO organization. Lawmakers think it hasn't been effective in its goals of business transformation. The Defense Business Board agrees. That outside panel is just out with a report detailing why the CMO construct hasn't been able to drive much change over the past dozen years. But the board also has three different alternatives that could get the job done. We'll talk to the co-chairman of the DBB task group that wrote that report. First, though, the Navy's latest next-generation enterprise network contract, NGEN-R, is being held up by bid protests at the moment. But once those matters are settled, the Navy wants to use the new contract to make some big changes in the Navy and Marine Corps' IT landscape. One is to modernize those networks. Officials freely admit the back-end infrastructure and end-user hardware has fallen way behind the technology curve. Another, though, is to consolidate those networks. Even 20 years after the inception of the idea of the Navy Marine Corps intranet, the two services are still operating hundreds of separate networks. Officials want to unify them under a concept they're calling domain singularity. To talk about that, my first guest this week is Captain Ben McNeil, the program manager for Naval Enterprise Networks. Captain McNeil talked with me at the Navy Department's annual West Coast IT conference in San Diego. Mr. Aaron Wise, who's the Don CIO, uh, really has this concept of a single logical network that supports the Department of the Navy. That is Navy Marine Corps afloat, afloat and ashore in all of our communities of interest. So uh, really taking a spin off of that, uh, really a concept called domain singularity, right? Just really trying to get to that single logical network that is one domain uh, for Navy and Marine Corps users. Now that's a lofty goal, but starting just with the Navy, we know that there's, you know, uh, I believe 140 some odd, you know, legacy accepted networks outside of, you know, our primary enterprise networks. So really, you know, it's become really unaffordable, uh, a large security burden. Uh, and obviously there's a need for all of those networks to transform to some degree in order to be able to consume and deliver cl- cloud services. So it just seems like the, le- the next logical step uh, that is achieving this concept of domain singularity. We've been successful in the past in terms of uh, absorbing legacy and accepting net- accepted networks into NMCI. So we really want to take a leap as we move forward and really try to achieve this vision of domain singularity because in my mind, you know, much like we did on the afloat networks, the Keynes program, we were successful in doing this on board the ships. So a much same concept here, but it really it's the challenge is scale as we try to do that, you know, in a much broader sense across the Navy shore enterprise. Those 140 that you've got there out there in accepted status, I mean, I mean, what sort of user base does that represent? Are they just tiny little pockets? They are a lot. They are a, we've gotten most of the big ones and absorbed them, but there are tiny pockets out there really have been accepted for some mission purpose or unique purpose. And really we want to re, you know, relook at those purposes and kind of figure out, Hey, is there a way we can represent those? Um, for instance, when you talk about NMCI today, we have the NCIS community, we have the, um, the legal community, the judge advocate general, and they used to have their own separate networks and now we represent those as communities of interest, but a overall part of the NMCI family. So really as we move forward, it is how do we look at our legacy and accepted networks, look at a rationalization of the services that they deliver 
and figure out, hey, where can we absorb them? If, if not the whole network, you know, can they largely consume the core functionality of what we represent in the enterprise networks and we provide them some special functionality for their unique purposes. And, and it seems like you guys are being careful to say over and over again, logical networks, yes. which, which suggests that you're not going to do a lot of ripping out of cable and, yes. and restructuring things. Talk about the, the difference between those, those two yes. potential ways of going. Yeah, so when we talk about the, uh, we want to make, I think the overall goal is, is seamless networks, mm -hmm. right? It is, you know, man, it, it is a, uh, a cumbersome, and a expensive task to actually to evolve all of where we're going to be actual the physical uh, connection of all of those networks. We'll do that where we can. That has been the the paradigm that we've taken with the legacy and accepted networks in the past. If they have actually become a physical part of of the enterprise networks in the past, we'll do that as much as we can and we that is the preferred mechanism but where we can't you know where we where we can't roll in and converge to a single solution set uh, we want to make sure that the logical connection allows us to have seamless data flow between those networks and so some concepts and uh, solution sets within the zero trust architecture allows us to be able to have that seamless flow between those networks and really uh, expand uh, their footprint such that you know it's, it's more logical than it is physical connection and we through policy and how we architect those we allow for those trusts that don't exist today. So moving aside from the accepted networks let, let's talk about the big networks as they stand today yes. I mean NMCI and Mixend. Yes. How much of this this domain singularity concept applies to, to those big chunks yes. of the user population? How, how disparate are they today? Yes. Well if you recall uh, in the first 10 years of NMCI, uh, Navy Marine Corps intranet, the Marine Corps ran its intranet. Now, there was not a single physical network at that point in time. There were two domains, if you will, that was Navy and Marine Corps uh, with only limited trust between the two. Mm -hmm. Right. So that still exists today. And so what we're looking at is, once again, uh, the biggest driver here is the ability to be able to consume and deliver these digital and cloud services moving forward. So, uh, we, you know, and the, the affordability aspect. And so um, General Maylock, General Reynolds have, have, are really leaning forward. And as we look across the services, whether it's networks, transport, storage, compute, looking at to figure out where we can get to this you know, domain singularity construct in terms of how it supports both the Navy and the Marine Corps. The other one that you didn't ask about was the OneNet, which is our overset, our overseas networks. And um, I happen to own both of those. And so a lot of the things that we're talking about with domain singularity, I've already uh, started initiatives to uh, help others understand those concepts as it pertains to OneNet and NMCI. We talked about um, converging those two networks and so we've already started a set of initiatives and really our intent is to mature those initiatives and use those as example sets of how we can do that across the larger enterprise. So some of the at least early groundwork that, that you guys laid in under NMCI at least put these two domains under pretty solid governance structures yes, yes, I would yes. say right so I mean that's that's probably easier than trying to herd these 140 accepted yes, cats agree. I would imagine right yes. so, so is this a multi-year thing to get more continuity between Navy and Marine Corps definitely or? and really it's across all aspects from the business to the actual services that are delivered and consumed the operational 
piece or all aspects of that uh, domain singularity. Starting with things as simple like are we using the same procuring procurement mechanisms in terms of enterprise license agreements? We've just um, there is a a recent enterprise agreement for Splunk as an example, right? And so you know it starts with you know trying to drive and minimize the dollars we spend across those networks and really trying to get visibility into how much we spend and where we spend it. So really looking across each service how we consume those services, how we procure those services, really makes it a, a multi-year journey towards trying to achieve those ends. So where those networks need to modernize, right, the first question would be, hey, why can't you consume what's being consumed across the larger enterprise network? And then we'll make decisions about whether you go out and do something for your unique purposes once we, can, once we get to the point where we know that you cannot consume what the greater enterprise consumes. You have some potential procurement sensitivities yes. on this, so let me just let me Understood. know if, if yep. we if we take you yep. in a wrong direction here. But but when you constructed the NGNR yes. procurement, did you have some of this in mind, or did it come along after yep. you kind of laid out the requirements for that? Absolutely. While we were working on the um, the NGNR RFP, um, we were approached by uh, the DoD uh, Enterprise Initiatives uh, Group, and what they wanted to do was us to pursue this. Um, construct called one nipper one sipper and that was really geared at their at the fourth estate networks uh, and figuring out whether the engine R uh, requirement set would allow for them to be able to consume services from the same contract now since then the fourth estate has evolved and I think they have their own contract so we already started with a mindset that whatever that we wanted to expand that potentially for DOD use so it only made sense or whatever the case is that that became a construct for um, those outside of NMCI and one that to be able to consume the same service services as well so you know whether it's fourth estate or anyone else in DOD maybe anyone else in yes. government they could theoretically buy services off yes, the yes, 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 contract. Yes, 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 yes. That that is correct. So whether we're talking about the engine R uh, in user hard contract or the engine R service management integration and transport contract, they are both open uh, for DOD uses and uh, Department of the Navy at large outside of NMCI one net usage as well to include the Marine Corps. That, that that one sipper one nipper concept I've not heard it talked a lot okay. about at, at the at the DoD OSD level. How, how much of what Engine beca- Engine R became mm-hmm. is based on that thinking? Is it well, really Engine R just started with the evolution of NMCI to get us to a a cloud native, you know, state of the shelf architecture. Uh, the one nipper and one sipper piece was really uh, the fourth estate's view on hey, they needed to understand this whole concept of it was going to cost them money to modernize and transform. So why spend that those dollars doing that in a disparate manner? Can they you know, use the engine R model for how those services were already constructed to be able to be consumed and whether they can consume that in the same manner using the same vehicle? So really, uh, it's just really been an extension of that same line of thinking or whatever in terms of this concept of domain singularity and said, hey, hey the contract allows for this. And so really from a just the technical and operational governance piece to be able to drive towards our ability to get there. That's Captain Ben McNeil, the program manager for Naval Enterprise Networks, talking with me about some of the objectives the Navy hopes to achieve with its latest NGEN contract. We'll talk more after a quick break. This is On DoD on Federal News Network. I'm Jared Servia.
Back on Federal News Network, this is on DOD. I'm Jared Serbu, talking with Captain Ben McNeil, the program manager for Naval Enterprise Networks. As we heard before the break, the Navy's hoping to use its latest multi-billion dollar NGEN contract to achieve a concept it calls domain singularity and make some major updates to the Navy and Marine Corps' information technology. You mentioned in one of your presentations today that NMCI itself is based on some really, at this point, pretty outdated yes. requirement sets. Um, under this new construct, or new, new contract structure, I should say, how bound are you to those older requirements and how much flexibility yeah. do you have to move forward without without sign off from from high above? Well, uh, we think we have a lot of flexibility to be able to move forward um, and, and we're breaking that glass now. Uh, really, the workforce has shifted right in terms of a requirement set whereby if you look at the communities of interest as an example now there's a big push to secure the defense industrial base as users of the network i have foreign nationals when i talk about my overseas um, arm of the network and we have all of our communities of interest whether it be the shipbuilding um, maintenance and modernization community the aviation community all of those communities have their own digital requirements uh, and and uh, their workforce has changed, the applications that they use and consume have changed. So we're being forced to move, right? So applications moving to the cloud basically shifts what the network has to do in order to be able to um, you know, accommodate you know, and have those services from those applications being able to be delivered. So I think we're being forced to move and we're really, really, really trying to come up with a, um, a requirements governance process to allow us to be able to evolve um, without the the uh, the rigid um, you know ACAT one like you know you know big muscle movements in terms of requirements that take a while to get there a while to get approved uh, the network being a very dynamic entity will not allow you know what I mean it has to be able to break glass on on an acquisition contract construct to support it and and just for people who haven't followed the whole NMCI NGEN saga can, can you maybe describe briefly what what that ten year old requirement set looks like compared yes. to the you know array of different directions that you yeah. could go in yeah. the future well well really when you talk about that you know, NMCI was started, um, contract was awarded in 2001. Uh, so the requirement set, uh, and really it started with just a, uh, it was an acquisition of services. There was just the contract, right? And as we moved into from NMCI, uh, as NMCI concluded after the first 10 years, the engine requirement set uh, was, uh, was created uh, as initially a new network that we would move to uh, following NMCI. So that original NMCI set of uh, requirements, if you will, was really, as we've gone back to kind of look and say, hey, here's what we have. It's intranet-based, right? The, the I in NMCI stands for intranet, which means that, hey, it, it supports a number of nodes within the, the Department of the Navy family, right? And there is a fence around it to protect, you know what I mean? And so we've built that construct for internal data transfer uh, across the continental United States, really, for NMCI, uh, and a boundary, a fence around that. And that's really um, the, the mindset and the mantra of what NMCI is. And so as we've evolved over time, uh, uh, more of a need for users to be able to access the Internet, more of our data is being placed outside of that boundary, you know, either in, in the internet or either in our uh, government clouds. And so there's an increased need for us to get beyond the intranet. 
but however the intranet makes up the fundamental architecture of what how the network is architected right so so really i liken it to a a ship class that now we need that ship to do another mission set that was not originally intended and most of the times we find that we have to build a new ship class in order to do that and the network has followed that same kind of logic or whatever that now we're asking the network to do things that it wasn't originally intended to do that is nmci and we have to re-architect it in order for those things to be able to to consume and deliver those services. So just to pick up on a piece of that, I mean, as, as you suggest, this idea of an intranet is like almost antithetical to, to being able yes. to use off-prem cloud. Yes. So, so this has kind of been suggested a couple times already, but but how critical is it to get this network piece fixed before you do the rest of the Oh, it, it is it is stuff? very critical. Right, right now what we're doing is we have a, a journey that we've kind of framed, uh, leveraging from industry that takes us from as some of our support entities call it, cloud intolerant from being not able to consume cloud services at all, but really a journey as we walk through cloud tolerant, cloud ready, and ultimately cloud native. And so really, we're really just in the cloud tolerant stages right now as we've done things like uh, Office 365, uh, some major modifications we had to make to the network to be able to consume those uh, cloud-based productivity services. Navy ERP was big. Navy ERP too, was, right? an, was another one of those uh, that was a big initiative for us last year and a, a number of uh, network modifications um, that we've had. And so the key thing there is the modifications. And right now it is such that every time an application has to move to the cloud because the network is not constructed to be able to um, allow that natively Right, there are a number of modifications that need to be made and really ultimately when we're in a cloud native state and those applications have are, are complementing that journey, that'll be a much more seamless. You would expect, you know, kind of like what you have at home whereby, hey, you download a new app, right? And that app can, can be consumed without issue. And, and that we're not there now and that's the journey and the, and the challenge of where we need to be. The word journey is kind of scary because yes. it suggests that it's going to take a really long yes, time. Yes, yes. I mean, what does the timeline look like realistically? Well, I, I tell you what, when we talk to industry, and that is, you know, the, the Cisco's and the Google's of the world, uh, they've talked about, you know, a 10-year journey, right? Uh, a lot of that is driven by, you know, uh, finances. And, and when I, I talk about that is because it's not only the network, it's the applications as well that have to move. Uh, and, and that's the challenge. And so I think what we like to do is, a threshold that keeps us progressing, you know, first of all is to be able to consume those cloud services, right? To be able to do things like DIOS, you know, and have a, a good user experience while consuming those services. So we want to be able to modernize, right? But ultimately getting to that cloud native state, right? Is, is that uh, as we mature. So what we've laid out in NGNR in, in is a five year transformation plan um, that basically described, hey, there's this cloud-native network that I need to achieve. And so we asked the vendors, and they framed up for us a five-year um, modernization plan, modernization slash transformation plan, transformation in the, in the fact that it wasn't just a, a mere, um, I say, a box swap in terms of, hey, this box is in the life, let me come and replace, but now I'm looking at new and innovative ways to provide storage, network, and compute services. So we'll transform where we can to be able to get there in, in the most expeditious manner as we can. I guess the main thing I'm wondering in the timing question is, you know, Mr. Weiss, the new Don CIO, has, has observed that he thinks that Navy and Marine Corps are about 15 yes. years yes. behind, and I don't think you would quibble with that. 
it, it, I mean, is the goal here to get to a point where you're only five years behind yeah. five years from now, or, or, or do you skip a generation, leapfrog? So you're yeah, actually- we like to be able to skip a generation, right? Really, you know, it's, it's how do we achieve cloud native as fast as possible, right? Some of the goals that we like to be able to achieve, like uh, collapsing to a single transport boundary, those are, are leaps in technology as a more, in, more so than a stepwise. So, you know, I would say our transformation plan lays out a moderate approach to get there with uh, leadership's advocacy here, and obviously uh, there's budget challenges as well, I think we're walking that fine line between, hey, a moderate approach and being able to recognize some of those outcomes as fast as we can. Captain Ben McNeil, the program manager for Naval Enterprise Networks, talking with me at the Navy Department's annual West Coast IT Conference in San Diego. Another short break here, and when we come back, we'll dig into the Defense Business Board's new report detailing how to reorganize the Pentagon for business transformation. This is on DOD. On Federal News Network, I'm Jared Serbu. Thanks for listening to Federal News Network. This is on DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. As we said at the top of the show, Congress is strongly considering doing away with the Defense Department's chief management officer. As of now, that's technically the third highest ranking position in the Pentagon, but both lawmakers and now the Defense Business Board have concluded the CMO has basically failed at its main mission of business transformation. The DBB is out with a new report offering three different alternatives that could replace the CMO structure. Arnold Panaro is the co-chairman of the task group that conducted the study and wrote the report. He talked with Federal News Network's Scott Massioni. So your study found the CMO position to be largely ineffective, and that's not because it didn't find savings or anything like that, but it just didn't serve that transformational role. So I was wondering if you could differentiate you know, what you were really looking for within that role versus what the CMO as an office actually did during that time. Well, certainly. And thanks, Scott. And I want to make sure you and your listeners understand I am not speaking for the Department of Defense. I don't represent the Department of Defense. And so um, I am not uh, representing them. And the second point I want to make, uh, and one we've made in, in our report, is our study and, and evaluation strictly followed the statute as directed by the Congress. And we were focused on the organization of the chief management office and not on an individual administration and looking at it since Congress established it back in 2008. But right. if you look at the statute and you look at the six areas that we were required to evaluate and whether or not they were effective, we basically had to follow the statute. And the statute basically had an individual in charge of enterprise business transformation, which means a fundamental change in, in a lot of the way DOD does their large business processes, which is logistics, healthcare, the medical, retail and IT, finance, human resources, and many of the things that, you know, are familiar in the business world. And when the Congress first established this position in 2008, the goal was to say, you know, we want the Department of Defense and these large business enterprises to be as effective and efficient as the world-class U.S. corporations, whether that be a Walmart or a Costco or an Amazon or United Health or Caterpillar, you know, whatever these world-class are. The big difference now is, and then Congress also in 2018 said, well, it's not making the progress we wanted. Maybe if we give it more uh, a clout and more authority, uh, we'll have a different outcome. That has not been the case. But the, the, the real change is we now, the benchmark is no longer 
uh, U.S. world-class organizations, the benchmark is in these areas we have to be better, faster, cheaper than our major peer competitor, which is China, which is not burdened by a lot of the things that we're burdened with um, in our government, in our industry. And so even if you could could compare up to, say, a Caterpillar or an Amazon, um, that probably is not going to basically allow us to to be competitive with, with a great power like China. And so the benchmark has to change. And when it comes to that benchmark, uh, certainly the evaluation, uh, 90 interviews, detailed every study, looked at everything that they've done over the course of 12 years, including just recently, um, you've not had that kind of business transformation. So that was really, um, again, the Congress had was well-intended, uh, the other thing is uh, I have known and worked with all four of the individuals that have had that position, starting, you know, with the deputy chief management officer in 2008. And these are all stellar public servants that came to work every day and still come to work every day trying to do the very best job they can for the taxpayer and the warfighter. But you've got an organizational structure within a culture of the Pentagon that we evaluated that where this this is not going to be successful um, under the current construct. So kind of a long-winded answer for you there, but I hope that – and if that didn't address your question, uh, let me – you know, let me know, and I'll try to zero in a little bit more. So the end goal here is something that's really humongous. You're trying to change an extremely entrenched culture along with one of the largest organizations in the world. Is it something that can be accomplished by just one singular office uh, overseeing, you know, this this humongous organization? Well, you've hit the bullseye with that question because, frankly, we need a person focused on business transformation. But that person has got to be within an organizational construct that is in the normal battle rhythms of the Department of Defense. And so let me give you two angles on that. Number one, previous secretaries and, and have put a lot of functions into the office of the chief management officers that has nothing to do with transformation, such as Washington Headquarters Services, the Pentagon Force Protection, intelligence operations, FOIA, compliance issues, um, managing the Pentagon Reservation has nothing to do with business transformation. Number two, you have other organizations in the department, and there was a lot of overlap and confusion with the role of the deputy, the role of some of the unders, and the CMO. So our alternatives to the CMO are to basically have an individual that is solely focused on business transformation, but also take advantage of the other organizations like the, the CAPE, which is a you know cost analysis and program analysis, the comptroller, the CIO, other organizations, the J8 on the joint staff, beat them up to basically and put them in what I call the hot water line of the Department of Defense, working for the secretary and the deputy. So there is no silver bullet. Um, it takes a combination of options, but one of the options is somebody that's working directly for the secretary and the deputy, focused on business transformation, but within the decision-making construct that's well adopted within the Pentagon, whereas the current CMO organization is outside the normal decision process. While we're on the topic of the recommendations, would you mind explaining the recommendations that you set out for the Defense Department, why each one of those would be good and maybe some disadvantages to them as well? Yeah, and that's what we did. We, we really said there's no silver bullet. There are advantages and disadvantages to every option. And we went through the pros and cons. One option would be to redesignate the CMO as the principal undersecretary for business transformation and have that individual 
working directly for the deputy is the deputy the, the deputy the second the deputy secretary of defense is actually the chief operating officer of the Pentagon. So this person would end up being the deputy chief operating officer working for the deputy but focused solely on business transformation and all these other uh, or duties that are in there now would be moved back to the people that used to have responsibility for them. The set, and, and so that would keep one person focused on business transformation. That's the advantage. The disadvantage is that's kind of the construct that we had in 2008 when it originally uh, got cranked up and was not successful in that time frame, not because of the individuals, but because of the organizational structure. A second option is two deputy secretaries of defense, level twos, one focused on policy and strategy and the other focused on you know, resources and management. And the resource and management deputy would basically have the business transformation and other management activities under that person. And so the GAO has long favored this approach. It's been in use in some of the other cabinet departments, certainly not on the scope and scale of DOD. Uh, the disadvantage, though, is you break up what's been a very successful approach in the department to decision-making, the duality of the SECDEF and the DEP-SECDEF as a unified decision body, and then you would end up with the Secretary of Defense having to referee, you know, between resources and policy, whereas now you don't have that problem. And then the third option would be to have the deputy serve as the chief operating officer, but in, with significant enhancements within that decision chain um, with a person focused on business transformation, with another focused on governance and implementation, beefing up Kate, beefing up controller, beefing up the J8 to help with the analytical, beefing up CIO, and, and have a better chance of success using the normal battle rhythms of the department, which have proven successful over time. So, so the disadvantages of that one is the deputy, of course, has some external functions now. He would have to really, he or she would have to really focus inward um, and really focus mostly on the management and use the Undersecretary of Defense for policy for a lot of the interagent, uh, interagency activities. So those are really the three options there for the say. And we felt it was important for us to not, you know, presume to think which one would be best for Secretary Esper uh, and Secretary Norsquist. That's why we provided three alternatives. I would also say um, this position is it's never been more important to do business trans fundamental business transformation. We have now in Secretary Esper and Secretary Norquist two of the most aggressive leaders in this area. And so, frankly, we need to give them an organizational structure that fits the fact that they really want to make this happen. And we just felt like the current organizational structure is just not going to have the ability to implement and be as aggressive as the secretary and the deputy would like to have. Arnold Panaro is a member of the Defense Business Board and co-chairman of the DBB task group that just wrote the new report recommending ways to replace DOD's chief management officer with a more effective organization. More of his conversation with Federal News Network's Scott Massioni after one more break. This is On DOD on Federal News Network. I'm Jared Serdian. Back on Federal News Network, this is On DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. And getting back to our conversation with Arnold Punaro, he's the co-chairman of a Defense Business Board task group that just published a report detailing some options for how to restructure DOD's organizational chart, replacing the chief management officer with what would hopefully be a more effective organization. He talked with Federal News Network's Scott Massioni. When it came to the actual office of the CMO, there's a lot of excitement from Congress, from DOD. What went wrong with it? 
Well, I would say I would say the Department of Defense can do fundamental transformation. They did it under Goldwater Nichols. They did it with special operations. They've done it with the operational chain of command in the military and made it crystal clear. Now we've got to fix the management chain of command. And I would say as, as, as one of the people that pushed strongly and was the strongest advocate for the creation of this position in 2008, and again when Senator McCain and Chairman Thornberry beefed it up in 2018, I'm willing to admit that it probably was doomed from the outset because the department never really accepted it and set it up for success. And it's because it was sort of an outlier and not within the normal battle rhythms of the department. And so uh, I'm willing to, to say, you know, we've got two, a secretary and a deputy now that really wants to take advantage of business transformation. We need to give them an organizational structure that fits within, again, I call it the hot water line of the Pentagon, not the cold water line. And, and, it, and you know, I, with, with, with great respect to the four individuals that have served in this position, the organizational structure has not worked. If you look at other things we were to assess, the culture doesn't support it. Uh, the military departments don't support it. Um, it's not consistent with world-class business practices on the outside. And so um, we just need to, have, to, to make a change. Again, it's not a reflection on the individuals uh, that have served in this position or on the one that's serving in there now. Again, these are stellar public servants. But, but again, the Department of Defense is the Department of Defense. And there's some things that work in the department, and there's some things that don't. How much does culture play into this, considering that DOD has a very entrenched culture, like I said earlier? You know, how much can one office actually change this? Yeah, look, culture is a big factor in every organization. And, as, as, you know, there's a lot of sayings about culture. Culture eats strategy for lunch and things of that nature. But, but you have in the department a well-established battle rhythm where they take on tough issues and they make it happen. And so there is a structure working with the secretary and the deputy within that, again, that hot water line where you could put in a structure. And, and that's why, you know, some of these options, we say it takes a lot of changes, not just one change. There's no silver bullet. We believe could be very successful within the culture of the department if you put this organization within the normal battle rhythms that have proven successful in the past. You're not going to, and, and it does take years to change culture, but frankly, Rather than trying to change the culture, which is almost a mission impossible in some areas in the Department of Defense, um, particularly in these, these complicated business areas, put, it, put a system in place that fits within the existing decision-making uh, process in the department, and it's going to have a lot more chance to be successful. And that's kind of what the combination of all our, our alternatives would do. How deep down does this organization need to go? I mean, would it be much better if it was a confederated sort of agency that was within smaller departments, like one within an individual military department, rather than having one overarching one that has to give orders to someone, you know, 20 some odd rungs down? Would it be better if you had someone a little farther down that knows what it's like being on the ground floor? Yeah, I mean, actually, it comes from the top, and I mean, you basically, Secretary Esper would have to basically set performance goals and outputs based on benchmarking against China. This is one of the reasons we recommended that we need a net assessment of the Chinese industrial base compared to our industrial base to see where the gaps are in these business processes. Then he puts performance objectives. The deputy uh, passes them out to the business transformation lead, to the, the other unders, and they all have goals and objectives they have to meet in the heads of the defense agencies under a new management structure and he needs to do an evaluation and figure out 
the best way to do that, because that needs improvement as well, you can drive it from the top. I actually, I mean, if you look at the, the reason that we changed the military chain of command in Goldwater Nichols is so you wouldn't have these issues of eight layers of command. And, and I mean, you, you basically, there's no issue at the platoon level in the United States Marine Corps. You know, when an order comes from the top of the chain of command, it flows down to the, the lowest level and, and, and they salute smartly and, and carry it out. We, we see the same thing could happen in the management chain of command. It's just got to come from the right level. Um, and the right person, and it's not going to come from an organization that's outside the hot water line. It's got to be within this crystal clear management chain of command. So if you are, if you say, if if Mark Esper uh, through David Norquist says to Ellen Lord, who runs DLA, here's what I want DLA to accomplish. Here are the goals and objectives, and you're going to be measured against them. The head of DLA, and we recommend in some of these, they look at bringing world class business leaders in to lead them with performance objectives and with an outside fiduciary board. They're going to meet these objectives or they're going to be gone, just like they are in the private sector. Um, when you don't meet your goals and objectives in the private sector, you put somebody else in that position. So I, I actually believe that if we if we embed this within the normal battle rhythm of the department, that battle rhythm has proven to be successful time and time again. And when you create organizations outside of that battle rhythm, and there have been other examples, not just the CMO, it just doesn't work, and it's not going to work no matter how good the individuals are, and the four individuals that we've had in those positions have been very good, and it's just it's just not in the cards. And, and again, I'm not criticizing the Department of Defense. When you talk compare it to other parts of government, they're about as crackerjack an outfit as you can get, and they're a learning organization. They are always looking for lessons learned and how can they improve. And, and in this area, there's a lot of room for improvement. Secretary Esper wants them to improve. We need to give him a world-class organizational structure to be able to do that. And I was just wondering if you could explain that hot watermark a little bit more. Um, what does that mean exactly to you? And, and explain that a little more to the listeners. So basically, if you look at the operational chain of command in Goldwater Nichols, we enhance the control of the military with, this, with everything in the Department of Defense subject to the authority, direction, and control of the Secretary of Defense and said that you know, you had to be retired for seven to ten years as a military officer before you could be even considered. Now, you got a waiver for Secretary Mattis, uh, uh, an exception, and and it goes from the president to the secretary of defense to the warfighting combatant commanders, and the warfighting combatant commanders set up their chain of command under them, the military chain of command. It's very crystal clear. You don't have a lot of interference. You don't have other people in there second-guessing the decision or trying to, you know, bypass the decision or funneling in a different direction. That just doesn't happen. On the management side, we don't have that crystal clear chain of command. If you look at the, the last thing we had to evaluate, evaluation factor number six, there's a lot of op- overlap, confusion, and duplication. You don't have that crystal clear chain of command. You need that. That's the way the Department of Defense operates. That's why the operational side is so efficient. So the, the management side needs to get as aggressive and efficient in responding to great power competition as the operational side. So if you embed it within the, op, the management chain of command and make it clear, it goes from the Secretary of Defense to, through the deputy to the various um, organizations that are currently set up to do these functions, then you're going to have that same crystal chain of command. Organizations that are outside that, that are, have confusion and overlap like the CMO and others over time, it just doesn't work. And so that's why you've got to, on the management side, mirror image the decision process on the operational side. And the management side has got to get as aggressive in changing the way they operate to deal with 
China as is the operational side. And so that's the challenge uh, for the department. That's the challenge Secretary Esper has personally taken on with Secretary Norquist. And, and again, they just need a organizational structure within that normal battle rhythm to carry out their, their orders. Arnold Panaro is a retired Marine Corps Major General, now the CEO of the Panaro Group. He's also a member of the Defense Business Board and the co-chairman of the DBB Task Group that just wrote the new report recommending ways to replace DOD's chief management officer with a different structure to drive business change. He talked with Federal News Network's Scott Massioni. Earlier, I talked with Captain Ben McNeil, the program manager for Naval Enterprise Networks, about how the Navy hopes to use its new NGEN-R contract to consolidate its networks and modernize its IT. If you missed that conversation, we'll post this week's full program at federalnewsnetwork.com slash on DOD and in our podcast feed. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. That's it for this week's edition of On DOD. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Jared Serbio. So long. You've been listening to On DOD on Federal News Network. Tune in Wednesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.